just because they're down two games, it's not over. But, sure. You know, we we lost the series being up 3-0. I don't want to bring it back up, but we lost series up three. You did? We we did. <laughs> guess that we did. <laughs> baseball fans welcome to another episode of put me in coach a podcast about baseball my name is matt coggins and my name is the former co-host of this podcast how dare you spring that on me my name is carl mizell you magnificent son of a bitch you (laughs) um I, I had to, man. This was the week of Creed. Apparently, it's not just working for the Rangers. The Vikings said they're bumping Creed, too, to help them beat the fucking 49ers. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. There seems to be some magical effect that Creed has on sports. You know what? I, I, I would be a fool to argue with it at this point. Um, It's been a minute since we've recorded and even released an episode because we were waiting for the... Uh, championship series to wrap up and both of them went to game seven so we are finally uh grouping together to recap everything that happened this week as well as preview what's going to happen in the world series but in the meantime carl i wanted to ask how you're doing it's been so long since i've talked to you in a hotel right now yes i am uh i started my day uh in hammond indiana i spent most of my day in valparaiso which is a lovely town uh, and now I am ending my night in Michigan City, Indiana, in a, in, a, in a lovely Hampton Inn. So I, I am doing quite well. I'm out on the road for work. I'm excited to go home and see my family tomorrow. Halloween's around the corner. Uh, nice. My son has broken the streak. I know you'll be disappointed. Um, but every Halloween, he has been Spider-Man. Because I, I think that's he, he says it's his favorite superhero. Um, but he finally is going to be something other than Spider-Man for Halloween. Uh, and it, arguably he is still technically uh, Spider-Man because he's going to be a skeleton. And Spider-Man has a skeleton. True. Yeah. You so don't you know that argue, skeleton doesn't have powers. Exactly. You don't know that. Uh, and my, my daughter will be a, a dinosaur. Nice. So I am very excited because she has been running around for like the last three months just obsessed with dinosaurs going, dinosaur, <laughs> Uh It's way cuter when a two and a half year old does it. <laughs> than a 45-year-old. How are you, my friend? I, 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 you're, you're definitely having some fun, it looks like, just based on what you put down for the beer of the week. I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. But uh, how, how have you been well, in, in our absence? You know, we've spent a decent chunk of this podcast history with me throwing around uh, pretty solid accusations of cheating towards a, a certain team, a certain fan base. And I tell you what, being on the other side of it, being fan oh. of a team, getting accused of cheating, is uh, less than desirable. And uh, I think it's bullshit, but um, I'm going to maybe hold my tongue on the whole Braves are cheating thing until until we get some solid evidence, you know. Uh, for those of you not familiar, Matt is a an alum of the University of Michigan. Uh, who has uh, fallen ass backwards into the most wild and ridiculous cheating scandal uh, 
for for all of what the Houston Astros did and how not really scientific that was. This uh, it was something stallion, Brett Stallion. What's his name? I can't something remember. Something Stallions, yeah. Something Stallions. So the University of Michigan football uh, team has come under some fire. I know this isn't a football podcast, but if you don't know, <laughs> uh, there's some dude who was a volunteer who bought tickets to games across the country, not just for Big Ten teams, uh, all like right around the 45-yard line and just far up enough so they could get a good view of the opponent's sideline. Uh, and they did the very clandestine high-tech knowledge, high-tech uh, system of just pointing a cell phone at the opponent's sideline for the whole fucking game. <laughs> um, and the dude makes $55,000 a year. He's paid by the university $55,000 a year and is spending thousands of dollars on tickets and giving them to other people. Uh, and so, uh, the leaders and best are, uh, (laughs) not looking so hot right now. Uh, so you kind of got to give the Astros a little credit for trying a little bit harder than that at least. (laughs) So the thing of is that's not technically against the rules. And I also think it's kind of, okay, so my, my, my evidence is my father-in-law is a hardcore Michigan football fan. He never once set foot in a class at Michigan. He just really loves the football team. There's guys yeah. out there that really love that football team and would be very driven to do their best to do oppo research to help the football team. The question is, was he paid to do so? And we'll let the NCAA figure that out. But again, this isn't a base or this isn't a football podcast. It's a baseball yeah. podcast. But, but, <laughs> but I do want to I, I do want to let you know that what they're talking about him doing is against the rules. You cannot be on site and use video. You cannot do on site game recording. Yeah. Of of your opponents. Yeah. So don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen. Right now, Michigan and neither Michigan nor Michigan State have a lot of ground to stand on in terms of moral <laughs> high grounds. <laughs> uh, I went to Saginaw Valley, so I don't care. Yeah, and their football team is good. Exists. I don't know. Do they do I sports? Don't know. They do sports. They do do sports. I know a lot of. But, theirs... they, but they, you know what they don't do? A baseball podcast. And That's we do, right. So <laughs> Hey, our beer of the week is not a beer. Uh, it's a cocktail I invented because uh, I just didn't want to drink beer today, <laughs> nor did I have no, any. Fair. So this cocktail is kind of fun, though, because I did want to plug a uh, whiskey that I just bought that I've fallen in love with from the Traverse City Whiskey Company. Um, I, I found a deal. I had it shipped out here to New York. It's the Michigan Apple Bourbon. And so I kind of created a cocktail around it where it's... Uh, I did like three ounces of that, an ounce and a half of this Jack Daniels Tennessee Cider, which is a uh, cider liqueur mixed with bourbon, and then fill up the rest of your cup with some Verner's ginger ale. It is the perfect fall cocktail. You see me drinking a tall one right here. It, it looks it looks just like like regular ginger ale. Verner's is a little bit darker. Yeah. <laughs> so the other things just lightened it up. I didn't mean to step on you there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're okay. It's just I I've I'm really in love with this this thing, and it, I feel very fall. When I drink it, it's just like it's a uh, uh, gingery, apple really sets the tone for the weather getting cold, even though it's gotten hot again <laughs> today. <laughs> I know last couple of days I, I packed up like my pullovers and my, my hooded sweatshirts and it's like, oh, it's going to be fall in Indiana. And it was it was 80 degrees. Yikes. <laughs> yesterday <laughs> did not did not need that. So what's going on in baseball? Anything? <laughs> no. Nothing. I, I don't know. I think there's like a World Series. I saw a fun post on Reddit the other day. Somebody was like, I am so confused. Didn't we just have a World Series? Like, I'm a new baseball fan. I don't understand. And everybody's oh, like, do you no. mean the World Baseball Classic? 
Technically, um, that was the World Series. Yeah, the uh, the great comedian Eddie Izzard did a joke many, many years ago about the World Series, and she said, oh, an amazing American team won again every year. It's it's, it's crazy how that works. <laughs> um, so, yeah, apparently it is a thing. But, yeah, no, the, the championship series wrapped up. Uh, but prior to that, we have got uh, the, the offseason has just uh, – the, technically, the offseason hasn't really started yet, but we've already got some big stuff going on. Uh, and right off the bat, you put it right at the top of the list. Uh, Kim Ng, uh, the now former uh, general mal- manager of the Marlins, is out. The Marlins tried to pick up her option. They were like, no, come on back. Um, but just so you know, we're going to install a president of baseball operations that would technically be above you, um, thus further diminishing the power that you uh, already have. And she was like, no, nah, I'm good. I guess this move would make a little more sense if the Marlins didn't make it to the to the playoffs this year like if they were just regular stinky bad team sure like try to shuffle around your front office but this was like this gm who hasn't been there that long like kind of catapulted your team forward in a big way uh with very little resources and uh i hope she finds a better more appreciative organization uh for her skills i guess that whole thing of the PBO is a new and upcoming job that people are sort of seeing as higher than a GM. What does it mean? Um, I just think she she probably deserves to be the highest person in the office. But yeah. um, I don't like I also said in the notes. I I want to dig more into this later because there was just such a flurry of of staff changes that happened this week that I think deserve more attention when we've got a lot of playoff baseball to talk about. But um, that was definitely the big one. And the other one was. Uh, Bob Melvin is getting hired by the Giants officially uh, from the Padres. He's still under contract for the Padres and just shipped off to their uh, uh, cross-state rival. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not entirely unheard of. Uh, they I, I don't know if they're going to get anything in return when Theo Epstein left the Red Sox and went to the Cubs. Like they actually got like traded players for him. Really? Um, yeah, I can't re- I can't remember who it was, but uh, it's it's not unheard of. But I mean that there there is a, a process to this. They went to the proper channels. They sought permission from the Padres. The Padres granted it. Uh, so yeah, it, it seems like a good deal. Bob Melvin has ever since he took over for Lou Pinella way back in 2003 with the Mariners, he's done nothing but win and 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 be a successful manager wherever he's gone so i'm excited to see what's going to happen for the uh, the giants and now we just kind of have to sit back and wait to see what the padres are going to do yeah uh hiring with, with from within apparently um there's i mean there's so many managers moving around now because buck showalter apparently still wants to work and uh is looking likely for the angels which i didn't think that they were sour on phil nevin but i guess that means something um boston finally hired a pbo or a pobo we call a it Pobo. P- P- Pobo. They hired a yeah, Pobo. Yeah, president of baseball. Yeah, Pobo. It's more fun um, to say it that way. Craig Breslow. Do you know much about Craig? Yeah, he's a he's a Yale guy. He went to Yale. He's Ooh. a former pitcher. Uh, he was a, a left-handed reliever uh, for a few years. He kind of started out. He I I can't remember if he came right in with the Cubs, but when he was with the Cubs, he had this sort of nebulous um title originally which was it was director of special projects or special Mm. initiatives um but the red sox apparently really valued him because what they want to do is something that he's already done with the cubs and that is nurture and develop pitching prospects from within 
the pitching staff for the Chicago Cubs this year was not the issue. They had a lot of really strong performers, not the least of which was Justin Steele, who's mm-hmm. definitely going to get a hearty number of Cy Young votes. But uh, Al- Alberto uh, Azale, Azale, I can never really pronounce his name, uh, developed a real nasty slider that turned him into a great relief pitcher. I know there's a couple other guys on the staff that I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting right now, but uh, he definitely leaned into that element, and that is something that Boston has been wanting to do and struggled with for a while, so I think that's what they're sort of uh, hanging their hat on. And I guess they sweetened the pot and was were like, don't worry about how we've gone through like four general managers in the last five or six years or whatever, seven years. Don't, don't, don't pay any attention to that. You're, you're our guy. Don't look at that pile of yeah. desiccated general manager corpses over there. Including the young, exciting one that literally just got hired. And he was only two years into the job, right? <laughs> I know. They, they, the, uh, Heimblum, uh, yeah. as, you're, as I'm sure, I assume you're talking about, the, the Red Sox gave him the sort of like the impossible triangle. Like, I, I, I know you're a, a graphic designer and artist. You've probably thought or said to somebody, there's good, fast, and cheap. And pick two, right? You know, like you can have yep. this good and fast, but it won't be cheap, that sort of thing. Uh the Red Sox wanted him to cut payroll, win at the major league level, and develop the minor league system. You you can't really do all three of those. And do so all that in the same season where three of your uh, competitors in the division are winning 100 games. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, Baltimore is going to be ascendant. Uh, Tampa Bay is going to win against all logic again. Uh, good luck. Somehow only the Yankees are the ones falling apart. But <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Um, we've also got Craig Consul interviewing for the Mets officially, which we kind of talked about when David Stearns got hired by the Mets. And we'll dig into that a little more because it seems like Cleveland is also interested in Consul. And Really? Uh, I hadn't heard that. That just came out. And Milwaukee fans are sort of like, I thought he would be a brewer for life. But it's interesting. I think uh, I think the Mets need somebody like him. Um, he is the exact opposite of the next guy we'll talk about, Dusty Baker, <laughs> who uh, is officially calling it quits. He he rage quit the league after the Astros yeah. loss. Um, I mean, he's he's been around so long. He, he's like it's like he's grown into his nickname. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a little dusty. He's seventy four years old. Great great job, great job. Uh, retired from baseball, was a stockbroker for a little while before he came back into baseball in the mid eighties as a as a as a coach. Just you know, yeah. I think it was with the, the Cubs. I think. And became a manager and and was one of the best, you know, managers in the game. He seemed to connect with his players and uh, still, you know, could kind of balance that. He was good at balancing personalities and that sort of thing. I don't think he really believed too much in like advanced data and metrics, but he actively shuns it, which I think is very funny because Houston, we've talked about it before. The big reason why they turned it around in the late 2010s is they they invested heavily in the idea of analytics and and sabermetrics and expanded that whole capability in their organization they hire a manager like aj hinch who leans very heavily into that science and then he gets fired for cheating reasons and then they hire dusty who is the exact opposite he is a uh this guy is looking at me funny today he doesn't get to bat kind of guy yep (laughs) he just didn't like Chaz mccormick's vibe and never put him up to bat ever it's Chaz mccormick he's good and the flip side is martin maldonado who can't hit out out of a paper bag played every game yeah no, I, and I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I, I I don't think it's any secret that Dusty Baker was hired after the firing of A.J. Hinch to be sort of a calming, res, you know, calming force and a respected voice yeah. 
in the clubhouse who could, you know, brace against that storm that was ultimately going to come. Uh, so I would be curious. You're absolutely right. I mean, the the, the Astros were uh, at the at the forefront of the the most recent wave of analytics. I mean, obviously yes. Oakland was the first wave, and then coming into the 2010s and whatnot. Houston led that charge. So I'd be curious to see where they're going to go with their next manager. Are they going to hire somebody who is uh, more in line with that element? Or have they seen that somebody like Dusty Baker, do they want somebody like him who can play nice with those analytics to a certain degree um, and sort of split the difference? So I have no idea where Houston's going to go with this, and I'm really fascinated. This is almost as fascinating to me as what's going to happen with Shohei. Yeah. Uh, to see what's going to happen next with the basically the closest thing we have to a dynasty in Major League Baseball right now. Well, speaking of that dynasty, I guess it's about time to uh, to do a recap on how they did and how everybody did in the championship round. So let's dig into it. Let's start with the ALCS. I'm going to try to hammer through these games as fast as possible to leave uh, more time for conversation. But this has been a week and a half where these games have, have occurred over, and I forgot how some of these how this series started. So Yeah. Well, let, let's back up real quick because... While I was correct about the NLCS, I did say that I think that one's going to go seven. I predicted a Texas Rangers sweep in this yeah, series. Yeah, you did. And, and then I felt... Scherzer re- started a game. <laughs> I made that prediction before before I knew that Max Scherzer was going to start a game. If I had known that he was going to start any one of those games, I would not have said that. Yeah. Um. I And it's fine. Oh, no. I was wrong about a sport thing. No. You didn't put money um, on it. <laughs> no, I didn't put no, I I didn't put any money out, but I really felt like Texas was just too strong. Um, so I just want to point that out. If you listened last week or last episode, and I said that I, I predicted a sweep, I get it. I'm wrong. Yeah, you your uh, boner, as it were, was far less than uh, some people who are like, I will quit tomorrow if if the Diamondbacks win, and uh, they did not quit. But the Diamondbacks no, did win. You'd have to be so. a, a real, a real mad dog to kind of say something like that. Not me. Shit! <laughs> I put Creed on my stop button. That, that's not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't stop. We just go harder with Creed. <laughs> um. All right. So, game one, ALCS, Rangers two, Astros zero. It was kind of setting the tone exactly how this series was going to go. Close pitching duel between Verlander and Montgomery. The latter squeezed out ahead through six scoreless innings. If you told me Justin Verlander would be the losing pitcher of two of these games, I would be like, is he still with the Mets? That's interesting. <laughs> um, game two, Rangers five, Astros four. If game one was a duel, this was more like attrition warfare. Texas scored four runs in the first inning off of Fromber Valdez, but only managed a Jonah Heim solo shot in the third for the remainder of the game. And then they got shut out by the Houston bullpen. The Astros, meanwhile, just kept chunking away at that lead. Uh, Every single, it was every other inning they got a run, including two home runs from Jordan Alvarez, but it wasn't enough to beat Texas. They held on. To win by a run, they'd leave Houston two games up into Arlington now. Game three, Astros eight, 
Rangers 5. Houston Bats come alive, thanks in part to that guy that had everyone asking him, really? Max Scherzer. And (laughs) after the game, you and I were like, if Texas loses this series, starting Max Scherzer in Game 3 coming in two games up is the dumbest fucking move anybody has ever made as a manager. Yeah. Um, because and surely they wouldn't do it if they went seven. <laughs> well, but uh, we'll get to that. Game three, <laughs> Scherzer hasn't pitched in a full month. He hasn't been amazing by any stretch in the at all this year. He's been pretty bad. Uh, he had a pretty like middle-of-the-road record and, again, hasn't pitched in a month. They're going to throw him into the fire in game three of the ALCS. Um, this was the guy, I guess. Houston scored a total of four runs off of what I deemed Sad Max, not Mad Max, Sad Max. Uh, He was mercilessly pulled in the fourth. How did he last that long? Um, Texas tried their best to catch up. Josh Young smacked two bombs. Epic stolen Alvarez homer from uh, Leody Tavares. Houston still makes it with a Ryan Presley finish. It was one of those games that felt winnable from the Rangers had they not started Max. Oh, yeah. I definitely think that would have been a a, a C change. I, I, I don't know if they would have swept, but I don't think we would have seen it go seven. Yeah. Game four, exact opposite. This one was not winnable by any stretch of the imagination. Astros no. 10, Rangers 3. Altuve played his 100th postseason game, and it was a quote-unquote battle between Urquidy and Heaney, who kind of seemed to battle themselves more than each other, <laughs> and neither made it that far in the game. Heaney was particularly bad. He recorded just two outs in the first before getting pulled for Dane Dunning, and both of them, Dunning and Heaney, gave up three runs apiece, and the Astros just could not stop hitting. Uh, Maldonado, and I noticed this when I was doing the recap, but uh, Jolly Olive, a uh, creator on the John Boy Network, kind of pointed this out during the series. Maldonado just seemed to hit with the bases loaded every single time he came up to bat. What was up with that? I don't know. Did it again in this game. Anyway, (laughs) Rangers got downright embarrassed in game four, and Yordan Alvarez didn't even hit a home run. Ten runs. None of them was a Yordan Alvarez home run. You would have thought. Game five. I definitely would have thought. Yeah. Game five. Astros five, Rangers four. And this was, in my opinion, the signature game of the series, even though the winner of the series didn't win it. Because it was a rematch between Verlander and Montgomery, and they kept it very close. One-to-one tie through five innings from two solo homers apiece. Then the chaos happens. Answering back from an Astros lead, Adolis Garcia pops off a three-run nuke, and he appropriately celebrated it. Did a nice bat slam, took his time round in the bases, stomped his feet onto the home plate. And in response, Astros reliever Brian Abreu plunked Garcia in the next trip to the plate with a 98-mile-an-hour heater. Garcia immediately made his feelings known to the catcher Maldonado, and the benches cleared. Both Abreu and Garcia were ejected. The umps decided the plunk was intentional, drawing the ire of Dusty Baker himself. Dusty literally said it was bullshit, got tossed, and then refused to leave for a good five minutes, which at the time I was like, I've never seen this happen. What's going on? He was just stalling for the bullpen. <laughs> That's oh, all yeah. it was. Um, good managing move. Just throwing a little fit. What's he got to yeah. lose? <laughs> Go throw at that guy. They're probably going to tell you to leave. I'll just throw a big old hissy fit, and we'll give the bullpen time to warm up. It'll be yeah. just like I planned it. What are they going to do, fire him? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, after the game, he said something. God damn it. 
he said something that makes me so mad because this is the kind of shit that you can hide behind. He he said he got mad and he said you can't prove intent. And he's, <laughs> he, he's right. He's right. Hey hey Brian, did you mean to do that? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, you only hit three batters all year, uh, and only one of them was right-handed. Yeah. Are you are you sure you maybe didn't kind of? Yeah, nope. And then just it. happens to hit two in this series alone. Another righty. Yeah. And I, I, my conspiracy theory is the second one in game six was also intentional, but made to look like an accident. So he could be like, see guys, I didn't, I didn't do it on purpose. So that when he does his, uh, his, uh, his, whatever you call it, when you tell the league, like, Hey, I didn't do it on purpose. Oh yeah. His appeal. Appeal. Thank you. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, back to game five, the real theatrics came in the ninth as the one and only Jose Altuve hit a go ahead three run blast. Which he did not pimp. He, you know, pretty calmly walked around the bases, stone-faced as he crossed home plate, to make a point, I think. Astros win it again, take all three in Arlington, going up 3-1. to one. And at that point, you're like, God damn it, the Astros are inevitable. Jeff Passan has even said it in the past. You just can't beat them. Oh, yeah. but you can. Because then comes game six. With Houston's trip to the World Series on the line and back in their home ballpark, big game Nate Valdi delivers a masterful pitching performance for Texas, and their bats come through. Initially, it was a close game. Texas holds on to just a two-run lead going into the ninth, but then they explode for five more, including an Adelise Garcia uh, grand slam. Garcia, to that point, had gone 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and 40,000 people booing him loudly. Rangers win 9 to 2. And then the pivotal game seven, Rangers 11, Astros 2. And it wasn't like that exciting of a game, but as I said in our Discord, it was cathartic. (laughs) It was so good. It was so good. It felt so nice to mute the television. Yeah. I I I was just in my hotel room. I muted the television, and I had, like, YouTube videos on. Yeah. And that was so nice to just have that in the background and just know, oh, oh, Rangers scored again. Great. Oh, they're up 8-2 now. Fuck yeah. Don't need to pay attention. I don't need to hear what they have to say about this. I can see it. I can see that Christian Javier just got pulled in the first inning. When he got pulled in the first, you and I were texting back and forth there in the Discord going, how many pitchers is is that now? Like, is that five? I think they had five and three innings or something like that. Yeah, they had they went to Phil Maton. I can't remember where they went from there. JP French came in at some point. Like it just it was uh, Hunter uh, Hunter Brown came in at some point and not a one of them. JP French got battered around. I think he allowed 6 hits and 8 batters. I think that was yeah. when it really got out of hand. I think he and gave Dusty up 3 or 4. And Dusty just left runs. him in. Yep. It just he was just Dusty over there fuming. And I'm sitting there going, "Good." <laughs> I went to bed. I think I went to bed in the seventh, whereas game six I stayed up for. And yeah. I was like, well, I, I I know that nothing's impossible with the Astros. And Altuve even hit a fucking home run in the in the ninth just to <laughs> just to be yeah. Altuve, you know. Um, he's got to go, go after that. that he's got to go after Man Ram. He's got to get the all-time postseason yeah. home run record. He's only three. Five foot six, Jose Altuve is... All, is probably going to be the all-time career playoff home run leader. That is insane to me. He is a aspiration to guys like me, short kings, as they the were. True short, the true short king, and he will probably overtake Hack Wilson for the all-time career home record for guys five, six, or shorter. 
good on him because I assume <laughs> by the name Hack Wilson, Altuve is a much more <laughs> current player. Um, oh, yeah. That's the ALCS. The Astros win in seven. They are going to the World Series. And uh, I, I clocked some tidbits for us. This was the first playoff showdown between two teams from Texas, which is crazy, I guess. Not that not that wild. Uh, now I'm thinking about it because Houston used to be in the National League, and yeah. the Rangers have been around since what the '60s since they moved from Washington. Yeah, they 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 moved there mid early mid '60s. Yeah, so it, it's it's not that wild, but it, it's a little weird. Crazier stat: This is another series that would guarantee a member of the 2014 Detroit Tigers w- rotation would go to the World Series as they have every year since 2017. Wow. <laughs> the names on seven, that list. <laughs> seven consecutive seasons. Uh, Verlander in 2017. So I'll just go you know, from there. Porcello yeah. and David Price. 2019, Scherzer and Sanchez. 2020, David Price. 2021, Drew Smiley. 2022, Verlander. In 2023, Max Scherzer. Oh, yeah. So there it is. Did Robbie Ray, was was Robbie Ray not a part of that? Huh. I would have thought he was on a playoff roster. He was with Seattle last year, but they didn't go to the World Series. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. I was thinking just playoffs. You're right. This particular playoff series was very bizarre for one particular reason. It's one of only two times in American sports where the war, where the road team won every game of a seven-game playoff series the only other time that has happened in American sporting history was in 2019 during the World Series where Houston lost in the same place in roughly the same way. Dropping the first two games, winning the, th- the next three games, dropping the last two games. It is very bizarre that it worked out that way. Baseball is... It's so weird. It's so funny. Adelise Garcia is understandably the ALCS MVP. Before the World Series even starts, Garcia is two RBIs away from a single postseason record at 22. Uh, His 15 ALCS RBIs sets the record for most RBIs in a single playoff series, and he carries a 1.102 OPS and seven home runs, including that monumental grand slam in Game 6. Adelise motherfucking Garcia. He became the villain after that hit-by-pitch moment. They had signs that said, free Abreu, even though he was in the game and, like, yeah. not suspended. <laughs> not serving the suspension until next regular season. They booed him. He struck out four times and then hit a goddamn grand slam. That is an ALCS story right there. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I texted you. I didn't realize that you hadn't seen it. He, he pimped what should have been a double off of the tall wall out there in left field, yeah. and then he had to take off running. And I remember texting you going, "This I, I don't mind when, when dudes want to pimp a home run and bat flip and do all that stuff, but you had better know for goddamn sure that that thing is nuked. And he didn't, and I was like, oh, no. Especially when you're playing in Houston, and it's going to bounce off that big-ass wall that's bigger than the green monster, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I just it, I was just worried that that was going to be a it was it was going to be a harbinger of of terrible things to come. But then he just said, "Nope, wait until you see this," and then, yeah, <laughs> just kept on hitting. There is a flip side to it. A guy that I think probably deserves the all around AL postseason MVP if their team had advanced. Jordan Alvarez. Finished the playoffs with a 1.487 OPS, which ranks him fourth all time. Ahead of him are Bonds in 02, Beltran in 04, Henderson in 89. That's it. (laughs) 
Yeah, and in, 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 if you're if you're one of our more casual fans who do, doesn't know what that stat is, uh, it means on base plus slugging, and it's literally just you add up your on base percentage and you add up your slugging percentage, and usually if you get to an OPS of around. 850, 800 to 900, 800, you start to get noticed. 900 is really good. Uh, one or, you know, 1.000. Even if you split the difference, 50, 50, five, you know, 500 slugging percentage, 500 on base percentage. Amazing. This dude <laughs> is right. Total, the total of that, you could split this in half and he could have a 750 on base percentage and slugging percentage. It's comical. It's com this is a comical number. If you don't understand this, it is insane what he did. Yeah. <laughs> and that there are three people ahead of him. And his team didn't win and he didn't even do all that well in the ALCS. Uh he he or at least didn't hit that many home runs. So, I mean, Garcia definitely passed him in the ALCS in that regard. I didn't really narrow it down to just his ALCS stats, but I'd be curious to see if you took away what they did in Minnesota, how that compares. Um the rest are less statty, more just fun. <laughs> Because yeah. the Rangers uh, kind of made a moment out of their love for Creed, as we previously mentioned. Uh, the band actually came and were in attendance for the first home game of the, the series, Game 3, uh, and they lost, as we also mentioned. But... Don't worry, they still love Creed. They still see Creed as their as their way star because they were blasting nothing but Creed in the clubhouse as they were spraying champagne on each other after the clinch. So to Creed we say Can you take me Um there were these were likely the last games. I, I I wrote likely because he didn't announce it yet. But Dusty Baker has retired. His last uh, game as a manager was Game Seven of this ALCS, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then the hit batter saga, which I believe was incredibly intentional. And I don't think it was just a Brayu who was like "fuck you, Garcia." I think Dusty Baker really called for it. He's a very old school manager. This is very much within his his mindset. And to all the Houston fans that are like, we were only up by two, or we were down by two runs, and there was already a guy on base, and there was nobody out. Why would we do that? Like, because your manager's Dusty Baker. The guy was yeah. playing in the 70s when fucking Art Bell was knocking people over. He was going around the bases. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is Dusty Baker's move. If somebody pisses him off, he plunks him. That's what happens. Um... So not only do I think it was intentional, as I mentioned earlier, I think that the second hit batter that he had in game six was also intentional. Um, because Garcia, or I'm sorry, Abreu um, appealed the suspension and decided to do so only a couple hours before game six. Timing was a little suspect there, where it was like, I'm going to appeal it just in case they don't let me play the rest of the postseason to get as many games in as I can. Um, mm -hmm. So, But he was still able to pitch game six while they looked at the appeal. The trial was before Game 7, but they elected to say he can play the rest of the postseason and then serve his suspension in the top of next season, which I think is bullshit, but didn't really matter that much <laughs> in the grand yeah. scheme. No, I, I, I agree. Some people were like, well, Yuli Gurriel, I think it was 2018, he got suspended or he was issued a suspension. He made the racist gesture. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, no. Go, go look that. Yeah, oh, no. go look that up. Uh, I even if I remembered it correctly, which I'm pretty sure I do, I don't want to repeat it. But long story short, he didn't serve the suspension um right away either, and 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 that wasn't even on the field incident. That it was 
it was like he was in the dugout. Um, but this happened on the field, and this happened in the course of action. Uh, I hate it. I think it's dumb. Uh, I, I don't see the point in throwing at dudes in baseball. As I get older, I don't see the point of fighting in hockey. When I was younger, I used to think, oh, yeah, it's great. Now I'm like, guys, you've you got one fucking brain, man. Yeah. Don't don't ruin it. And you're wearing blades um, on your shoes. Exactly. <laughs> Do you guys know you got knives on your feet? That's crazy. Um, yeah, I just, it, it's so dumb. He should have been suspended. He should have been taken, you know, he should just said, nope, get out of here. Go on. Because that that need there needs to be repercussions for that yeah i get there needs to be repercussions for that i get especially in this day and age where they're uh allowed to use less sticky stuff they're trying to spin the ball more and more plunking happens and it doesn't always happen on purpose i get that every single hit batter that i saw <laughs> in these last two games seemed very intentional our oldest chapman who rarely makes uh pitches outside the zone intentionally i felt like this one was uh, oh yeah, he, he hit Chas McCormick. Hit in the worst spot too. <laughs> hit Chas McCormick on the inside of the thigh with a 103.7 mile an hour fastball. I can't believe Chapman can still throw that hard. What the fuck? Um, that is only slightly behind the fastest ever pitch someone's been hit by by like 0.3 miles an hour. So second fastest pitch someone's ever been hit by, and McCormick still walked to first. I can't believe that either. Um, like I said, Aroldis Chapman rarely hits his target. He hit it that time, somehow. Um, finally, I think the best stat of this entire ALCS, and we'll finish the ALCS with this. Yes. The Astros are now 0-5 in home playoff games attended by Ted Cruz this postseason. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. <laughs> Thank you for single-handedly Thanks. finishing the Astros season. Thanks, Ted. Eat shit. Let's go to... Well, any I sorry, any final thoughts on the ALCS? Texas is going to the World Series. Astros are out. We don't have to see the Astros in the World Series for the first time in how long? Quite a, quite a while. Quite a long I mean, it's time. just... It's, 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 it's nice to know that we I like I, as soon as the game ended I, I I texted you all caps we can we can, at least we can enjoy the world series exactly I said before this whole postseason started if Houston or Atlanta is in this world series I'm not watching and neither of them even got close so well I guess Houston got close anyway um moving on to the NLCS Game one, Philly five, Diamondbacks three. In Philly, NLCS started with a bang, literally. As Kyle Schwarber takes the first pitch that Zach Gallon throws very deep. Harper joined him with a homer of his own in the first, Castellanos two in the second, and I don't want to foreshadow here, but that was the last hit that Nick Castellanos had in the NLCS. After being so hot in Atlanta, that was his last hit was that home run. Philly kept it going up 5 to nothing in the 5th. Arizona answered back with a Perdomo home run in the 6th and an Alex Th- Alec Thomas sack fly in the 7th to make it 5-3. Craig Kimbrell saved it for the home team, though, and that might have been his last good appearance of the series. Game 2. Phillies 10, Diamondbacks 0. This is probably the most dominant game of the entire playoffs. Because this one was just oh, yeah. mean. Uh, Merrill Kelly, he, you know, he wasn't too bad. He gave up some some solo homers to Turner and Schwarber, but then he got chased from the game in the sixth, giving up another Schwarber homer. 
Philly would score four runs apiece in the sixth and seventh, and on the other side of the ball, Nola struck out 12, allowed only three hits, and tossed six shutout innings. Ten to nothing. Brutal. Now on to Phoenix. Game three started as a tight pitcher's duel between Arizona's rookie starter Brandon Fott and Philadelphia's Ranger Suarez. It was scoreless through six innings. Each team traded runs in the seventh, but the Diamondbacks would walk it off in the ninth with a Cattell Marte line drive to center off of Craig Kimball. Game three was kind of special. It broke a 22-year drought. It was the first time that Arizona won an NLCS game since game five in 2001. It also marked the first walk-off postseason win in Diamondbacks history since Luis Gonzalez walk-off single in game seven of the 2001 World Series, which was the last time that the Diamondbacks even went to the World Series. More on that later. Game four, Diamondbacks six, Phillies five. Another close one. Teams traded runs between the second and fifth before Philly took a 4-2 lead in the sixth with an Alec Bohm two-run single. Philly continued to have bullpen troubles, though, as our old buddy Greg so- Soto and Orion Kirkering. What a hell of a baseball name. Uh, they name. walked the bases loaded in the eighth but managed to escape with just one run. And then Craig Krimbrough fucked it all up. Or if you're a D-backs fan, provided a beautiful gift. Alec Thomas blasted a two-run homer to tie the game, and Kimbrell gave up a single to Marte to hit and hit Carroll. Two guys on base. Moreno hits the go-ahead RBI single to even the series. Paul Seawald, perfect this postseason, hasn't allowed a single run. He gets the save in Game 4. Game 5, Phillies 6, Diamondbacks 1. The Phillies got back to doing Philly things. And they pretty, pretty solidly handled this game. Featured homers from Schwarber, Harper, Real Mudo. Six innings of one run, eight strikeout ball from Wheeler. They left Arizona one win away from a clinch. But game six, Diamondbacks five, Phillies one. Snakes said not so fast as they flew to Philly. Nola was noticeably less dominant as he was in game two. Gave up back-to-back bombs from Pham and Guriel and ultimately got yoinked after four innings and four earned runs. Philly just couldn't answer back, and the Diamondbacks' Kelly gave up just one run through five, and the pen pitched scoreless through the rest of it. This one felt like when the tides started to turn, because Game 7, Diamondbacks 4, Phillies 2... A rematch of Game 3, Fott and Suarez back at it. Both pitched a solid game, once again seeing the teams trading a tight lead back and forth until late in the game. Contrasting Philly's love for homers, and I think this is the game that it was most on display of what the big contrast between these two teams were. Philly hits homers. That's it. The Snakes do their thing on the bases. Corbin Carroll hadn't stolen a base all series until Game 6. He got on base three times in game seven. He steals. There's some smart sack flies, some good force outs, you know, you know, taking that fielder's choice out at first, but driving in a run. Choice RBI hits. They're enough. And they gradually tack on runs while Philly just couldn't blast that ball. And that was all they were trying to do. Harper and and Turner and Schwarber, all they're trying to do very clearly is hit a fucking home run and they can't do it. The biggest threat for that big moment from Philly came in the seventh. They threatened with two runners on, one out, but Ginkle came in and retired Trey Turner and Bryce Harper on flyouts to end the inning. Ginkle pitched a perfect eighth inning, striking out 
the side? I think I wrote down two out of three. I think he struck out all of them. Um, uh, yeah, he did strike out the side in the. He he pitched one and two thirds innings, uh, and so he got Turner and and Harper out, and then he struck out the side. Yeah, in, that's in what eight. it was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then Seawald came back in for the save. Diamondbacks clinched the ticket to the World Series for the first time since two thousand one. That is your NLCS. I thought there was a, a moment there that the, the, the Phillies had, a, I think, a legitimate argument when when it was the seventh inning, runners on first and second, and uh, Ginkle uh, stepped off and turned like he was going to, you know, throw to the throw to the bag at second. And it looked like a spike hung up, but he he he, he should have, in my opinion, should have been called for a balk, which would have moved the runners to second and third. And then I believe Harper hit the the fly ball to right field, which could have gotten a run across. It was deep enough for a sacrifice fly, which could have made the game four to three. Mm-hmm. I'm really surprised that more people, like the the broadcasters, didn't say anything. I haven't really heard anything much about it, but I was like, that 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 that's clearly a bug. One of the broadcasters said, "Yeah, it kind of looked like," and and then they just moved on. If I were a Philly fan, more of a Philly fan than I am, I consider him a B team. I'd have been pretty upset about that. But uh, that said, you're absolutely right. Arizona, they just they pressure you. They get they have Alec Thomas runs extremely well. Corbin Carroll, of course, is just fast as fuck. You know, Cattell Marte runs well. Perdomo runs well. Uh, there, I know I'm missing somebody else on that roster that runs really really well. But they just make you they they make you play perfect baseball. And you you absolutely nailed the reason I was nervous for Philadelphia, which is. Like I've said before, oops, all DHs. It's the it's the deep <laughs> ball or nothing at all, and they got nothing at all. They had no answer, and they couldn't overcome that. It's it's an interesting way to see the the, the means to which these teams have gotten as far as they did. You know, uh, Philly versus Arizona was all home runs, and it was perfectly timed, perfectly placed. Well done, home runs. Arizona, uh, did I say Arizona? I meant Atlanta. Atlanta only won one game out of that series, and Atlanta was very known for hitting home runs in the regular season. Philly just did it better and did it at better times and then had better pitching to combat that. And I thought that their pitching was part of the problem, but moreover, their defensive shortcomings were very on display. Starting to see why many people have graded Nick Castellanos lower. I mean, really, the, the only good outfielder they have is Rojas and he's not a good hitter so that's (laughs) the gamble that they have is uh um you know Marsh isn't bad but and he's a decent hitter but he's kind of middle of the road if you're gonna have your power hitters not play defense they better be hitting and Castellanos again had one hit the entire NLCS yeah, and it was a otherwise meaningless, ultimately meaningless home run. Yeah, you know, it was it was really sad. Uh, it, Bryce Harper moving to first base helped them defensively because then it allowed Rojas to step onto the outfield. Bryson Stott is phenomenal. Yes, phenomenal at second base. Trey Turner is 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 fine, but moving Harper to first base helped their like overall defensive run saved. But they're still a terrible. <laughs> Moreover, moving Schwarber team. away from the field, period, is better for getting, everybody. Yeah, getting Schwarber as far from the fucking grass as possible. He should never, there's never a point where Kyle Schwarber should touch grass. His cleats should only touch dirt. He should never have to touch it. <laughs> All right, some NL tidbits for us. With their clinch of Game 7 moving up from the lowly second wildcard slot, the Diamondbacks have kept a miraculously weird streak alive. Every team who has ever 
beat the Milwaukee Brewers in the postseason has advanced to the World Series. <laughs> this goes back to the 60s, I think. Or what, how, whenever how do, they started. How do you think that would make you feel? Is like, would you wear that as a, I mean, a badge of honor? Like, they, 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 you, you beat us, so now you're ready. <laughs> you are ready. For I was the World curious Series. about it. We can't so, go. <laughs> I went to the I went to the Brewers uh, subreddit and they seemed to be on Arizona's side. They were like, "Yeah, fuck it, keep the streak alive. If they're gonna beat us, they might as well go all the way." And honestly, I there you go. Hats off to uh, Milwaukee for for that thought. Um, because if I had a uh, National League rival that beat me and then went and you figured they were gonna go to the World Series, you'd be like, "Fuck these guys." <laughs> Yeah, and the company that I work for is headquartered in Wisconsin, so I know there are a lot of my coworkers who work on site that are very sad, but at the same time, that is a very Wisconsin attitude. Yeah. To be like, hey, you know what? Hey, man, hey, you beat us, and there's this weird streak, so fuck it, man. Hey, good on you. Go get it. Here, have some cheese curds. <laughs> <laughs> on August 11th, the Diamondbacks were 57-59, and 59, two games below 500. Their chances were making the playoffs were... 13.4%. Their chances of going to the World Series were 1%. That, to me, says, uh, fuck Vegas, fuck the odds makers. Yep. Anything's possible with this new postseason. And there's more and more conversation now that the Diamondbacks have gotten in of, oh, this isn't fair. This isn't fair to your Braves or your Dodgers or your whoever's that won 100 games. I, Nate Silver was like, this is bound to be the most boring World Series. And I was like, yeah, of course Nate Silver thinks that. He's still hung up on this fucking, oh, I thought Hillary Clinton was 80% chance of winning uh, <laughs> 2016, and it broke my brain when Trump won. So anything unlikely happening that beats statistics doesn't mm. make sense to some people. So then I just say, fuck you. And I love the Diamondbacks slogan of this postseason, which was embrace the chaos. Cause that was so appropriate for what they did this year. And now yeah. they're in the world series, embracing it some more. Absolutely. And, 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 and people are, are still griping about the whole like layoff thing. And, you know, they weren't that good. They don't, they didn't even deserve to be there. Okay. Yeah, they did. They, they were granted a spot. But I think you're right. People, like you said, fuck Vegas. People look at the stats and go, "Oh, well, they only had a 13.9 or 13.4 percent chance of making the playoffs, or going, or making the playoffs, and a one percent chance of going to the World Series." Okay, so then should we just not play the games? Yeah. Right. Like, what's even the point? Let's just pick at the beginning of the year who we think is the best team, and then just pack it up. I but, think people legitimately want to go back to how it was in the '60s, where the top winner of the American League and the top winner of the National League are the World Series competitors, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And to me, frankly, I don't want that. I want no. this. This is fun. This is way more exciting. I guarantee, I, do it for one year. Just do it for yeah. one year. You will fucking hate it. You will hate it. I guarantee you, I grew up, I grew up in the in, in the you know the eighties watching the Tigers have really good teams. You know, they had a really good team in eighty seven. They had a really good team in eighty eight. Guess what? <laughs> they didn't have a chance. They arguably could have been one of the better teams, but we'll never know. And here's something, just as an aside, that I I I, I hadn't thought of until today because there was another person on Reddit talking about oh the playoffs suck because there's too long of a layoff and the buy disadvantages people. Ted Williams missed three fucking years from military service and is still considered to be one of the best goddamn players in baseball right. history. Three years in the military didn't ruin his timing. He was still one of the best hitters ever. So don't tell me that five days off is going to. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, I can't he crashed wait. crashed the goddamn until... plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
thank you. I'm sorry. I just needed to digress for a little bit. Phillies and Citizens Bank Park still were a story this postseason and in this championship series because it seemed to help in at least the first two games. And they sold, they oversold every single home game this postseason by at least 2,500 tickets. That means 2,500 standing room only tickets. That's fucking nuts. Uh, and tied to this, prior to his game two start, Arizona starter Merrill Kelly claimed that the crowd and volume in Philly couldn't compare to the World Baseball Classic appearance that he had in Miami, which, A, I remember that crowd was not that big. <laughs> B, it's yeah. it's whatever they call the park over at Lone Depot Park in Miami. It's an indoor stadium. It's very big. Uh, Citizens Bank Park is pretty compact and full and on top of you and outside and they get loud i don't know from a tv viewer standpoint i know it's loud how does he a guy that's been in the stadium already for a game not think it's probably gonna be loud tonight um mlb tracked the decibel level and it reached 111 decibels when the phillies homered roughly the same as being right next to a chainsaw which yeah for those that don't know is very loud yeah, you should wear ear protection when operating a, a, a chainsaw. Or going so, to Citizens Bank Park. Or going, exactly, <laughs> or going to Citizens Bank Park. Uh, a little history, I guess. Nick Castellanos and Reggie Jackson are the only players to hit five home runs in a three-game span in the playoffs. And again, it was the last hit that Nick had uh, <laughs> in game one. The Phillies power four, Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Castellanos, they won a... One for 28 combined in the final two NLCS games. The team managed only three runs. They were two for 17 with runners in scoring position. I'm no manager. I feel like that's probably why they lost. <laughs> I There was something about the game yesterday. Like, they weren't making good contact. They couldn't seem to pick up what Fott was throwing. He kept dotting that slider down and away, like down and away yeah. to the righties. He kept hitting that that corner, you know, down and away to the righties and down and in on the lefties. And they just his his fastball and his slider tunneled together so well that that's why it's so difficult for them to hit that. And he just kept doing what he did. Boom, hit that home run, and then Fott was just like, eh, all right. He never looked rattled. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Brandon Fott, he is the first pitcher in postseason history with no runs allowed and no walks in consecutive starts. That covers the NLDS appearance that they made against the Dodgers combined with his uh, NLCS appearance, but he also only gave up the one that one very lucky Bohm home run. Very calm and collected for a rookie. Uh, yeah. We're definitely going to get back to Brandon Fott. Cattell Marte was named the NLCS MVP. He swung a mean... 258 average, 986 OPS, and surpassed Marquise Grissom for a major league record to start a postseason career with 16 straight games with a hit. He's only two games with a hit away from beating Derek Jeter for an all-time record. He has up to seven to try that. So, yeah, well, I mean, he's he's going to get a chance. Yeah. Because they're, they're going to play at least three games. We'll see how World Series Game 1 goes, and we're rooting for him to beat that record. Nothing against the captain. Has he always been called the captain? I feel like that's a thing he made up for himself in the last couple years. Well, I don't think he was born the captain. Speaking of a guy that was playing around the time that Derek Jeter was playing, Evan Longoria is the only Diamondback with postseason experience. He's old. <laughs> that makes song. me feel old. 
Well, he, he, he's like 34, 35 now. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit older. I say he's old. He's probably only a little bit older than me. He made his debut in 08. Yeah. So he's been in the league for 15. No, I actually, I think he's like closer to 38. Because he's doing, he's doing what I do now. He just shaves his head because he's losing his hair. <laughs> so he's definitely getting there. There's far less drama than there was in the AL, but the Phillies fans tried to stir some shit when the series would move west as they noticed that tickets for the admittedly too early games were dirt cheap. So they began to buy up tickets for game three and four en masse to keep Diamondbacks fans out of Chase Field without the intention of using them. Seems like it backfired. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Um, actually, uh, Foolish Baseball's uh, Bailey was like, oh, okay, Phillies fans, well, joke's on you. I'm just going to buy four World Series tickets that I have no intention of using. And then uh, when they didn't advance to the World Series, he goes, easiest uh, return transaction ever. <laughs> I love that dork. He's great. Another weird bit of energy came from Phillies backup catcher Garrett Stubbs, who promised that the Phillies would beeline it to the Chase Field pool if they clinched in Arizona. Uh, Diamondbacks manager Tori Lovello seemed to imply that this was kind of bulletin board material for the Snakes, and Philly did not, in fact, get a chance to swim. Finally, the question that everybody's asking after watching three games played at home field in Arizona, why do the Diamondbacks, named for a snake, have a cat for a mascot? <laughs> it's, D it's Baxter, quite adorable. D. Baxter the Bobcat is the name of their mascot. He was unveiled to the world on June 23, 2000 at Chase Field. The idea for the mascot came from Brantley Bell, son of former second baseman Jay Bell, who explained to his dad that the team should have a Bobcat as a mascot since the team played at Bob, which is Bank One Ballpark, B-O-B, <laughs> Bobcat. Bell informed management about the son's idea, and Baxter was born. So that's kind of cute. It's a cute reason why it's not a snake. I yeah. guess I would wonder how a snake mascot would work. I, I would imagine I would imagine something like like a, a like a big. I mean, see, it's the thing. Like it would it would a diamondback isn't a cobra. I don't think. But it, you, usually, I would imagine like some sort of cobra head kind of thing. Plus, I don't know, people feel weird about snakes, but everybody loves a cat, right? I mean, most people would prefer cats over snakes. I would think. Yeah. yeah. Bobcats eat snakes, right? I don't there, know. There, there you go. <laughs> now, as, as a brief aside, I, I do love that they call that that ballpark the Bob, and I wish that more people would call Comerica Park the Copa. Copa, yeah. I know some people do. I, I like it. I wish more people would do it. As far as fields named after banks go, and there are way too many of them, the Bob is more fun than Chase Field. Copa is more fun than Comerica Park. What else you got? Guaranteed Rate Field, Lone Depot Park. Ugh. Stop letting yeah. banks name shit. Well, after uh, after the debacle that was Enron Field in Houston, <laughs> I think they were just like, you know, okay, literally anything but that. Let's do banks. They're they've got a clean stellar reputation. Judging by the amount of advertising they have around the field, I feel like Globe Life in Arlington was nearly Lockheed Martin Park. So, <laughs> so I'll take Globe Life, I guess. Yeah, City Field in Queen Queens kind of works because it's like if you don't know that that's a bank tie-in, you could just be like, yeah, City Field, a field in the city. That makes sense. Yeah, good point. All right. Uh, so to wrap a lot of this up, and then we'll do our uh, personal MVP runners-up. I wanted to talk about some of the history that was made between the two leagues across this championship round because both the Diamondbacks and the Rangers stunned me in the way that they made this World Series appearance. 
Both of them went from 100-plus lost seasons to making the World Series in two years. So if your team sucks shit this year, unless your name is the Oakland A's slash the Vegas A's, (laughs) there's a good chance you might make a World Series in two years if you do everything that the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks did. (laughs) Yeah, and and, and here's the crazy thing. Because of that really terrible season they had, they were able to pick uh, Drew Jones at the top of the draft the son of Andrew Jones, who was one of the top prospects. He's only 19 years old, and uh, he's spent most of this year getting the bat knocked out of his hand in A-ball. But, you know, they, there's still like there's still stuff in the pipeline yeah. coming up for this team. So it's going to be – they're going to be pretty interesting to watch the next three to five seasons. Kind of the same thing a lot of people said about Baltimore is that, like, they had yeah. a shitty season a couple seasons ago – or a couple shitty seasons – Because of that, they were able to draft well, and they've built off of that. And that's just sort of how awesome that baseball can operate. You know, you don't get that in football. You don't get that in basketball. You know, Uh, you just get lucky with your draft picks. With baseball, there's there's a bigger scheme behind all of it. And moreover, because of the way that this format works, and in my opinion, works very well, two teams that you would have never expected made it to the World Series. The 174 combined wins between the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, most of those are on the Rangers' side. The fewest for World Series participants in a 162-game season. That's wild. A major league first. It's also the first time that both leagues in the championship round have gone to a Game 7 since 2004, nearly 20 years since two Game 7s. That made it an extremely entertaining postseason. The first time since 2016 that the World Series won't feature the Dodgers or the Astros. Mm. That's the most important one. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. ALCS Game 5 and NLCS Game 4, they were both played on October 20th. They marked the first time multiple teams won a postseason game while trailing multiple runs in the eighth inning or later. Very cool stat. Very dramatic come-from-behind wins from Mm. both... This, ne- this next this next one I, I heard the, the the next stat you have here uh I, I heard this and I I was shocked I'm just gonna go ahead and jump it, 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 this was the first game seven that the Phillies have played in their 140 year history yeah how they're one of the oldest teams in the league and granted we haven't played seven game playoff series in forever but It's been a long time. At least the World Series has almost always been seven games. The Championship Series, since it debuted in the 60s, has almost always been seven games. And it's not like the Phillies are like the Cubs and have never appeared in these games. They've been there. And the first Game 7 in 140 years? Yeah. No, and 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 I I I know they they went to the play, I know they went to the playoffs. They were a good team. They were good in the early 80s. I know in the early 90s they lost to the the Blue Jays in the World Series. Uh of course 08 they won the World Series. They went to the playoffs a lot in that in that era. Uh so yeah, it, it's not like they've had like super long stretches without going to the playoffs. They they've had their chances to go to yeah. seven games and they just never have. It's just it's it's kind of crazy to th- it's like growing up where we grew up just an hour away from Canada and somehow you're what do you mean you're 37 years old you've never been to Canada like how does that happen I'm 31 and I've only been there once on a wrong turn on the ambassador bridge so but there you go but you did it I've set foot in Canadian property some records 
which I was surprised by. I was like, oh shit, really? Still in 2023, we're setting records. Kyle Schwarber has set the career record for most postseason home runs by a lefty with 20 and the most home runs in NLCS history with 11. And on the flip side of it, Jose Altuve has 10 career go-ahead postseason homers passing Pujols for the most in history. And with 12, he has the most career ALCS home runs. It's also crazy. That means almost all of his home runs have been from behind to go ahead. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, 26 total home runs. He is just three behind Manny Ramirez for most career postseason home runs, period. And I imagine before he retires, he might have a chance to beat that record. Here's here's a quick question for you, and I know we we're running short on time. Real quick, shoot from the hip, yes or no, do you think that Jose Altuve spends his, his entire career as an Astro? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Why not? Yeah, well, exactly. He's, he's very good. He clearly likes it there. They're a winning team. Why not? It's not like Correa where it was like, I'm young. I could find better options elsewhere. Uh, I think Altuve's kind of made his home there and yeah. he'll stay. I agree. Guys like him and Brantley and uh, Maldonado, I don't see going elsewhere. Yeah, Alvarez probably. Yeah, Bregman, Tucker, like it all seems, I just can't see him playing anywhere else. But w- w- time will tell. Yeah, I hate, I've always said this, I hate the Astros but Jose Altuve has a special place in my heart and I like to see him do Jose Altuve things as a short king a fellow short king the Phillies have out homered opponents by 33 home runs in the postseason at Citizens Bank Park specifically and that currently stands as the best home run differential in the postseason for any team in any park very specific stat very interesting stat. I don't know if it's accurate because I got this stat on October 19th and I had to do my own math. <laughs> Which but, we know historically is not always great. Yes. However, the Phillies didn't hit a whole lot of them in the last two games. And Alec Bohm hit the last one as I was writing this down. So I was like, okay, this seems to make sense. Either way, it seems like they set a record. And another one was, this was a note that I took early in the series, but I think it was still worth looking at. During the October run in 2015, the Mets out-homered their opponents by 12 in that postseason. It was 20-8 to in homers. Not runs, just homers. This still stands, or it stood as of 2023, as an all-time record, but the Phillies seemed to have broken it. And I feel like this is the kind of stat that people won't pay attention to because they lost. Yeah. Because whenever I took this note, it was 18 to 4. And I think I took that early in the series. So they hit a couple more as it went on. I think they broke that record. But again, I don't think anybody's going to pay attention to that. And I'm a bad math guy. So I didn't really follow <laughs> up on it. No. And, 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 and that's something that the, the, the commentators mentioned several times, which is the vast majority of those were solo shots. Yeah. And that right there, it's almost like, wow, man, that's so many home runs. Yeah, but nobody else is doing anything. If 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 your top four batters, like you mentioned earlier, the big four are just hitting home runs, they're not hitting they're not hitting you know two run or three run shots because they're hitting in front of each other. So <laughs> Schwarber hits a leadoff home run, Turner hits one, Harper hits one, big fucking deal. <laughs> yeah, it works if your pitching is lights out, but theirs wasn't. And, they, uh, yeah, they were decidedly not lights out. Their their ultimate skill, the thing that it took to beat the Marlins. And the Braves was ultimately their downfall. And that gets the prices right, Horn. So, Carl, we've got Adelise Garcia in the AL. 
handedly winning the MVP. Catal Marte with his uh, record-setting first uh, championship series appearance, getting a hit in every game. He gets the NL MVP. But my question to you is, who is your runner-up MVP for either league? Yeah, this great question. We we talked about this. We were like, well, the league nailed it. I mean, there's no yeah. way. There's no way that you know you can go with anybody other than those two. But we did want to highlight a couple of other players who definitely contributed. Uh, and on the National League side, I went with Kevin Ginkle. Four point two or four and two thirds inning pitched, two hits, no earned runs, no walks, five Ks, and virtually every pitch he threw was a high leverage, high pressure pitch. And he performed way better than I would have ever expected anybody named Kevin Ginkle to perform uh, at that level. I, 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 the first time I saw him, I was, that, that is the least baseball sounding name. Like some dudes just sound like they're supposed to play baseball. Yeah. Like they're like, like Cody Bellinger. It, it's, it's, it's a fine name, but he sounds like a baseball player. Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, you know, even some lesser, like, you know, Estuary Ruiz, Kevin Ginkle. Ginkle. But fuck if he didn't play so goddamn good. And then over on the American League side, I wanted to highlight Jonah Heim. His stat line, you know, for the playoffs is not, you know, super standout or anything like that. Seven for 28, two home runs, including that big home run. It was game two, I believe. Um, Four RBI and two runs. But this is a guy who was drafted out of high school 10 years ago, uh, I believe by Baltimore. He wasn't even drafted by Texas. He's kind of been bouncing around. Late bloomer, 27, 28 years old now. Uh, finally coming into his own uh, and had a really, really solid uh, first po- first postseason for a guy who uh, spent a lot of his career in the minors. So stick tap for Jonah Heim. Uh, great, great championship series. All in all, I feel like those two guys really, really showed up when it mattered. You know, it's... Yeah. It's one thing to say like Aaron Nola pitched lights out and it was awesome, but Philly also ran away with those games. You know? um, oh yeah, uh, Wheeler too. Wheeler pitched uh, a several amazing innings in relief in Game Seven. Didn't matter because they lost. They couldn't get those runs back. And it's a uh, it's Heim and I think you don't even mention how good Heim is as a catcher. Period. He's he's calling those games. Do they even, they have a backup catcher, right? Yeah, every team does. I just I couldn't tell you who it is at this point. We know like, every team's got to have at least one. Cause... I know who Garrett Stubbs is because of his well, <laughs> uh, dumbass comment about the pool. But I also know he didn't make very many appearances when JT Real Muto was on your team. But Jonah Hine, yeah. I know, is their catcher, and I don't, I can't think of who would back him up. Well, let's do a quick little. Uh, you know what? You tell you tell the listeners. What your thoughts are? Who's your runners ups? All right, or runners runners ups, and I'll uh, do some googling. I went a little outside of the box, and I said Brandon Fott is my NLCS MVP. He's a rookie. He's pretty much only appeared in one season in his entire life. He had a 5.72 ERA in the regular season. Everybody said, "Why is this guy pitching?" In the postseason, he's not very good. Every time he came up to the mound, people would be like, well, Arizona's going to lose this game. There's no way. He was lights out this postseason. 270 ERA uh, in 16 innings pitch, 22 strikeouts, 1.08 whip. Never got a decision, which is kind of a shame. Uh, it felt like they maybe Lavello kept him on a little bit of a tightrope because he's on the younger side. He's 25, but again, this was his first year in the majors. Um, 
you know, Arizona won every game that he started, and I think he's a big reason why. He he really figured out how to eliminate the Phillies hitters, which is something that the Marlins couldn't do, the Braves couldn't do, and the Marlins and the Braves play the Phillies four times more than any other team in the league does during the regular season. So that's my pick for NLCS runner-up MVP. My backup, my my. I had trouble with ALCS because Adelise Garcia really, really nailed it. And guys like Seager, like Seager has the all-over best stats for the postseason, mm-hmm. but didn't really show up in the ALCS. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're going down the list and you're like, okay, who's left? Evan Carter also didn't really show up. Jankowski, I guess, is up there with two at-bats. <laughs> He's got a he's got a 1.0 OPS in two at bats, so good for Travis Jankowski. Um, and honestly, probably should have more, but he got robbed by um, right fielder Tucker. Um, so I guess my pick is gonna be Josh Young. Yeah, great pick. Who so far this postseason is 920 OPS, 289 average. 15 strikeouts, we'll ignore those, you know. He's hit three home runs, and two of them were in the same game of the ALCS. Again, another guy that showed up, hit some home runs when it fucking mattered. And not for nothing, the hot corner is a hard position to play. And I'll give him a little more of a tip because I like him, and his little brother is in the Tigers organization as an up-and-coming potentially going to be one of our big guys in a couple yeah. of years. So Josh, I really like young. It's, it's spelled J U N G. So I don't know how the average person would really pronounce that, but otherwise what else you got? Low Tavares. A lot of these guys showed up. Mitch Garver is the backup, by the way. Well, I was going to say they actually have three catchers on the roster because there's Garver and then they traded for Austin Hedges. Hedges plays. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they got him on the at the. I, I googled it. He they got him at the deadline this year in exchange from Pittsburgh, for, right? From Pittsburgh in exchange for money, international <laughs> specifically international pool money. Okay, it's funny if you look at the stats in thirty four at bats this postseason. Garver's a little bit better than Heim with forty nine at bats, but yeah. Selective no, selective stat use, as it were. I like the Rangers. I like the Diamondbacks. If I put you on the spot now, Carl, who are you going to bandwagon for this World Series? Well, I wanted to highlight something real quick, and that is you've talked about the balance, the balance schedule a lot this year. You yeah. were fascinated to see how the balance schedule was going to play out, and you have one of the first examples of that right in front of you with this World Series, uh, or almost did, excuse me. Let me back that up because the Phillies, if the Phillies would have gone and the Rangers would have gone, they both finished with a 90 and 72 record. Oh, so, but Texas would have had home field advantage because everybody played everybody this year. So they've got like a baked in tiebreaker and Texas swept Philly in the opening series of the season. Um, So that's another little wrinkle that I thought was interesting was that this is the first time we've seen the balanced schedule and we came very close uh, to seeing uh, that play out. To answer your question, I am bandwagoning for Arizona. I am, I'm excited. I'm excited to see two teams in the World Series that I haven't seen. Well, I haven't. I haven't seen Arizona in over 20 years. Uh, and Texas had that run in the uh, the early 2010s uh, where they were really dominant. And and so it's been a while. I'm excited. Uh, that both have really f- exciting players to watch. 
I want to see if Evan Carter can keep bringing the energy that he's brought. Uh, and I want to see if the Diamondbacks can just continue to embrace the chaos. And I want to see Corbin Carroll mash the ball way farther than a guy his size should do it and run way faster than any human has any right to run. Yeah. And I want to see Fott and Ginkle. <laughs> Fott, Ginkle, and Seawald sounds like the weirdest law firm, but <laughs> I, I, I want... <laughs> <laughs> the, the law firm of uh, how Ginkle, Ginkle Fott and uh, Ginkle Fott and Seawald, I think, sounds better. Um, Ginkle Fott. Ginkle Fott like sounds kind of dirty. It, it does. Yeah. But uh, that's who I'm rooting for. I This reminds me so much of 2016 where it's, it's two teams that it's a long time coming. Granted, Arizona less long than Chicago or Cleveland. But Texas has never won a World Series ever in their history. And I'm like, I'm pulling for Arizona a little more and I'll get to why. Um, but I wouldn't be upset if Texas won. It's not like last Same. year where I'm pulling for one team because I want the other team to lose embarrassingly. It's like, I, I honestly, I'm going to watch every game. I hope it goes to seven games just for optimal dra- dramatics. But I really, I'm going to be happy with whoever wins and, and applaud them for doing so. I really like Turner, or not Turner, oh shit, what's his name? What's the kid's name? Carter. I really like Carter. Mm-hmm. On the Rangers, I really like Carroll on the Diamondbacks. Those guys are so fun and so fresh and, and just show the way baseball would be played if the characters that I made on the show came to life. Yes. <laughs> you know? They're stealing bases. They're hitting for power. Um, I'm pulling for Arizona, but I will put two caveats on this. I hate their jerseys. I hate their uniforms. Yeah. Their color scheme is all off. They have the perfect color scheme in the tank. They used it in the 90s. The purple, teal, and gold. Go back to that. Zach Gallen has even said this was the perfect color scheme. What are we doing? The burnt red <laughs> looks bad. It looked especially bad when you're playing Philly, who is a team that is red and, and owns red. You could be purple. There's only two purple teams in the whole league. Or there were, and there's just one, and it's Colorado, and they suck, so like you could be the cool purple team. You could be winning the World Series wearing purple, teal, and gold with your cool snake logos. Okay, my other caveat is I hate that they're called the D-backs. I refuse to call them the D-backs. <laughs> what is a D-back? A back with D's on it? That sounds disgusting. Diamond back. It doesn't take that much longer to say. It, no, it feels like it, but it doesn't. I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me of one of my favorite memories, uh, which is when I first started playing the show uh, from the other side of the room. I hear Katie, my wife, say, Are, is there a team called the D-Bags? <laughs> That's what it sounds like, right? It's, yeah, it's and I, bad. And that's the fr- and it had never. I just took it from. I was like, no, it's the, the Diamondbacks. We call them the, sometimes we call them the D backs. And she's like, that's not what it sounds like. Right? Has anybody ever told them that it sounds like D bags? And I honestly had no answer because <laughs> I don't know if anybody has. I've done some some math. There's only a handful of teams that we've given this treatment to. The Tampa Bay Devil Rays became the Rays, but that was more of a. <sighs> Disneyification of the team. The yeah. Oakland slash Kansas City slash Philadelphia Athletics became the A's, but that's more a shortening of the word athletics, which makes sense. And it's more of a logo thing, you know? Okay, we can uh, we can forgive it, but you still call them the athletics. The Blue Jays, okay, you can leave off the blue. It still keeps the spirit of the thing. D-backs is bad. It sucks. Everything sucks about it. If you need to shorten it, say snakes. I love calling them the snakes. What's their seated connect uniform? Serpentines in this awesome sandy color. That's 
keep that. I love that. I want purple, teal, and gold uniforms. I want them to say the word Diamondbacks, embrace the chaos, and embrace what's cool about that team. But I'm ultimately, I am pulling for them and Corbin Carroll. And they're fun. It's a, it's a really it's gonna be a fun World Series. So fuck Nate Silver. Uh, fuck everybody that thinks that the Braves uh, deserve to have it handed to them. They're an afterthought now, man. That was like a month ago that yeah. they got knocked out. So fuck them. Didn't didn't even need to think about it. But now that I am. I'm laughing in my, like I'm laughing inside in my heart again. There's still Braves fans out on Twitter that are like, "So I really think we need to shake up this whole postseason thing." It's like, shut up. Yeah, no, you I know. Lost. Go home. Yeah, they're terrible. And you cheated, but I'm not gonna say that because <laughs> I know how much it hurts when people accuse your team of cheating. Carl, any closing thoughts? Because we might not see these fans again until after the World Series, and it might be another ten game wait or ten day wait until we record again. I was going to say, uh, have a safe Halloween, everybody. Uh, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Uh, and that's a long list because I'm a very boring person. <laughs> so uh, just stay home, uh, hand out candy, um, take your kids for a loop around the block. Uh, don't get them too much candy. And uh, it, just because you don't want to eat all that, they're not going to eat it. You're going to end up eating it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I got, man. You? Um, go blue, as always. Uh, we're not cheaters. We're awesome. And uh, <laughs> go go snakes slash diamondbacks. And, uh, you know, everybody just have a good time. This is a great time for sports. The Red Wings are fucking awesome right now. They're great. Oh, man, they're so good. The Lions have been really good. Uh, looking forward to another uh, Tiger season where hopefully they won't disappoint. And uh, this is this is fall sports, man. This is this is a beautiful time of year. Uh, folks, we will see you next time, which I don't know when that will be. I'm going to say it right now. I don't think we'll have an episode out next Wednesday because there is a World Series to play. And so yeah. whenever that series wraps up, we will come back to you with a World Series recap. Yeah. And, we, and we'll also lay out what we're going to be doing in the offseason because we got big plans for that. It's really exciting what we got cooking up, but we're going to save that tease until next time. So we will see you guys then on Put Me In Coach. Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback. Edited and produced by Matt Coggins. Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com. Put Me In Coach.